Welcome back, everybody, to the Below Average Joe's MMA Podcast, episode number 95. 95! It's Wednesday, we're midway through the week. Dominic Salee, we got a fun one on our hands today, don't we? You know, we always love the Wednesdays, and we've had back-to-back special episodes of uh, kind of one-offs, you know, but now we're back to one of our special episode series, series is, series, eh, I don't know how it goes, this or that, baby, part three, it's always a blast, I truly love recording uh, parts of this series, I think we're gonna have a blast, buddy. I agree, um, everything's still going good back home. I am slowly but surely getting the new podcast studio set up, cleaning out the room, emptying boxes, putting clothes away. I'd say on a percentage scale, I'm about 82% there. So we're we're close, Noah. We are close. Well, Well, how is your moving? Because you're taking my old apartment that I just left. Yeah, we, I guess we uh, we kind of failed to mention that uh, Monday's episode. <laughs> this is true. But yeah, I am I am taking your apartment, and I'm slowly but surely moving everything over here. I mean, it's all, it's right down the street from where I currently live. Yeah, that is very convenient. But um, I started today with uh, bought a TV, um, got a router, so you know, right now I'm recording in the new apartment for the first time by your lonesome. By my lonesome, yes. Ah. Um, so tomorrow I'll probably grab the rest of my clothes and move them over here. And kind of the last day will be in my bed and the bigger stuff probably this Saturday or something. Oh, yeah. Um, but I would say I'm probably about 18%. Oh, so we're the opposite. So then. Like the opposite right <laughs> yeah, now. yeah. So uh, I'm definitely getting that uh, firsthand perspective of how awful it is to move. But yeah, it's not I'm fun. break it up. Because I hate movements. I'm just trying to break it up. Yeah, you get small bits and pieces at a time. <laughs> By the time Saturday rolls around, you're going to be at 82%, and then it won't be too bad. Yeah, see, this is this is why I keep you around. Yeah, exactly. The only but anyways, <laughs> with this, this is a Wednesday episode, so it is just a bit extra special. And today we are doing one of our favorites. It's a series we have. It's part three yeah. of this or that. The concept being that me and Dom go back and forth presenting each other with two options, and you can only take one. It's this or that. We can't put it any simpler. <laughs> you really can't. If you haven't listened to the first two, we highly recommend them because we've had some hotly contested what fights did we want to see this year. That was back last year in December. Then the most recent one we had, we went all over the place with topics, and I think this one's going to be pretty similar to that part two. So yeah, it's going to be fun. We talked a lot about uh, the Ultimate Fighter, who should be the coaches for that. Um, since then, we've got the announcement of who the coaches are. So yeah, true. It's uh, and we did not mention it. them, by the way, in that episode. <laughs> we were way off there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But um, what do you say here? Who who should start first? I'm just going to come out first and do it. You okay with that? Come out swinging. Come out swinging. Um. So I've got two non. Well. I'm not even going to say anything. I'm just going to go. I got to ask you, though, because we did a special episode on the Reebok deal, the best moments from the Reebok era. Now we're a couple events into the new Venom era, and I'm just going to pose the question straight up, Noah. What do you like better so far in terms of fight kits, Venom or Reebok? Now this is 
This is a hard one. Now, granted, Reebok went through multiple phases with different looks, and Venom See, is I'm, just I'm, starting. I'm going off of kind of the most recent Reebok look. Yeah. The kind of fading that's, colors. That's what's in my head right yeah. now. That's what I remember most clearly. So, um, because of that, um, this is a hard one because I, I've said this before on our podcast that I don't see too much of a difference in them, if I'm being honest. Like, they, you know, it's kind of like splitting hairs, you know, same color schemes, um, same minimalistic kind of style, you know, there's not a ton of character in them or personality in them. They're pretty plain, but they also do kind of look athletic they, they they look a lot like that nike pro combat mm-hmm. style of wear um i think if i had to really get in there and like break them down i know venom does have some that look really nice i think i'm only gonna go with reebok because i think their champion look is mm. much better you think the champion Actually, really, kits are better I, I really prefer the champion kits for reebok than so far what i've seen with venom Right. Venom just, uh, there's not enough gold, I don't think. I don't think the gold really pops on the on the champion kits for uh, Venom. Plus, I really don't like that. I, I really like with Reebok how it's like all black and then the gold. Yeah. Uh, with Venom, they're like doing a gray. The gray fading, yeah. And I just don't think the gray fading goes very well with the gold. Um, because of that, since champions are kind of your most important fighters, <laughs> typically. Uh, I'm gonna side with Reebok. Uh, Venom obviously has a long way to go. They can completely uh, kill it by the end. And I will say that my vote will change depending on how they treat some of our fighters that have more True. distinct personalities, like Bryce Mitchell. Oh, we definitely need some Venom camo trunks for Bryce. And maybe even some other guys from other countries wanting to you know think of like boxer like butterbean yeah yeah the red white and blue or even mma related like tito and chuck yeah fire and like ice that. yeah so, if they even do little things like that then i'll be more on their side but that's the only difference i can really come up with at this moment i respect it what would be your thoughts on it for the champion kids they went with the primary color as gold like all gold trunks with like the black letters or gray letters. Do you think that would be better? What are your thoughts on, or is it, would that be too similar to like the yellow fight kits for Brazilian fighters and such? I think I like a lot better doing the black with the slight gold infused, um, an all gold look. Might be too much. I'd be, I'd be interested in seeing it, but I just think it might be a little too out there. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, considering that the rest of the UFC's fight kits are very plain, they're very straightforward, solid colors, I think that gold would just stick out too much. Yeah. While currently it's mostly black, and then you just got a little bit of gold on there to kind of make it pop. And I thought Reebok did a great job at the end, especially like with the the newer ones sure that they had. That the tight, because they were always. I always prefer like the tight yeah. shorts. Like, as opposed to, like, the baggy ones. I just think they make you look more like an athlete for mm-hmm. some reason. So, those, I'm thinking, like, Robbie Lawler rocking. Them, yeah, like, yeah. The champion look. Like, that's what I... I like it. I like it. Did you have a, a vote in the matter? 
I'm big on specifically in terms of Venom. The red fight kits are sick. I think those look incredible. And I think that the white ones are really slick as well with the black trim. And sometimes they do like red lettering and such. So those, the red and whites um, are definitely better than I think the Reebok ones did. I don't think Reebok necessarily did like white ones, uh, but they had like the grays. So Venom definitely takes the cake there. The championship ones I'm kind of dead even on. I don't really sway one way or another yet. Uh, and then like the blues, yellows, the greens. We haven't seen too much of it yet, so I need to see more of those other three colors. But I do think over time, just like Reebok did, uh, Venom will continue to evolve the gear, uh, grow with the times, what's becoming trendy with athletic apparel. So I think this is a good start for sure. Like I think in terms of their beginning kit and what Reeboks was, Venom takes the cake there. Uh, so I would have to imagine they can only get better and better. So yeah. That's a very fair point. I, I would even go as far to say that by the end, depending on how long this uh, partnership with Venom goes, Venom should be better than Reebok by the end. I mean, they had the blueprint. They got to see what worked and what didn't True. with Reebok. So they should be able to take what worked and implement it somewhere into theirs. And, and they're a much more MMA like-minded organization and company as a whole anyway. So that uh, kind of gives them the upper hand, whereas Reebok was so new to MMA, they really had to grow, evolve. We saw the errors that happened early on. So I think that's a big uh, hand and strength for uh, Venom so far. Right, so I'm going to go ahead and uh, give you my first one. Hit me. Come on. I'm not going to like it, I don't think. Um, <laughs> so this involves two prospects. From two different divisions. I really got out there in this episode. Oh, boy. Yeah, just... So these are two of the bigger prospects that have been on their rise. They're kind of, you know, they're in the top 15, creeping towards that top 10. Yeah, yeah. But my question for you, which prospect becomes UFC champion first? Oh, okay. I like this. If, if either one of them does, who would be the first one to do it? Now I got the... Men's featherweight division, Sadiq Yusuf, and the men's bantamweight divisions, Sean O'Malley. Oh wow! There's a lot of there's a lot of variables in this one. I think. Well, it's actually interesting you bring up Sugar Sean because he's going to be my next question I pose to you in a different light. So I guess I'll start with him. His striking's impeccable. We've seen how crispy, clean it is, but. We've seen some very high injury proneness to Sean, and that is never a good sign, especially in a sport like MMA. As for Sadiq, he did have a long layoff between his last two fights. However, before that was pretty active in the UFC to that point. Uh, he has, of course, fallen most recently to Arnold Allen. Sean O'Malley fell to Cheeto Vera, but has since bounced back. So it's like, okay, well... Will Sadiq get that same opportunity to bounce back? We shall see. And I think you just have to look at the strength of the divisions. And honestly, both of those divisions are so stacked. It's like, it's going to depend on the matchmaking. But truthfully, if you look at who the UFC is pairing each man with, Sadiq is being given the tougher challenges, the higher ranked, bigger name opponents, at least I think so far in terms of Sean O'Malley, yeah, he did get Cheeto Vera, but he still was not ranked at that point when that fight happened. 
Um, and then he fought a guy like Thomas Almeida, who was on a, like a three or four fight skid. His next fight just got announced, which is against Luis Smolka. So, as big of a superstar as O'Malley is compared to Sadiq, and the UFC definitely realizes that, they're pushing him at a much different pace. So it makes you wonder, does the UFC not see as much potential in terms of beating higher ranked guys for Sean O'Malley? So they're giving him quote-unquote easier fights. There's no easy fights in the UFC, but to kind of just pad up more wins... Or do they, you know, do they believe more in Sadiq, and that's why he's fighting another up and comer uh, in a guy like Arnold Allen? Both guys were on an absolute tear going into that fight. <sighs> I think at the current state of the divisions and at the pace that they're both getting pushed, I would see Sadiq Yusuf potentially becoming a champion first, and it would be a razor razor thin margin. But it's just the way that they're pushing him now compared to Sean. I think I go Sadiq Yusuf on that one. Okay. Um, I definitely see what you're talking about from that perspective of like how how far along they're being pushed. You know, Sadiq's already uh, what number eleven in the division. Yeah, so yeah. He's, you know, he's a fight away from two top ten. Here, really, you know, top five. Yeah, yeah. So um, for him, it's it's a more I, I guess there's less fights if you win <laughs> there's less fights to a there's a, sh- a shorter road if you will but my answer is going to be Sean O'Malley because and this isn't to take anything away from Sadiq Yusuf but I'm looking more at the level of competition now men's band might be at this point the most stacked yeah. division that or lightweight yeah so like by no means do I think Sean O'Malley has an easy route neither of these guys do but if you look at the top of the top, you know, Sean O'Malley's got that impeccable striking background. Yes, you're right when it comes to his longevity. That remains to be seen because he has had a few, you know, lower body, like ankle issues. That's ultimately what lost him the Cheeto Vera fight. Nearly lost the fight against Andre Sukumtoth yeah. due to the same type of injury. However, when I look at Sidi Yusuf, who's also a guy who's a striker, but if you compare his striking with the top of the heap... Especially like a Max Holloway that we just saw. I think he has a hard time getting past the Max Holloways, the Calvin Gators. I mean, Arnold Allen, even. Yeah. Um, Alexander Volkanovsky's a great striker. Yeah. Even Brian Ortega is making big improvements in his striking. Like, there's a lot of... And then for Sean O'Malley, I would say his striking is already sort of at the top of that division... It's more so about kind of well-rounding his game. Yeah, everything else. Um, but let me ask, actually ask you a question. It's a little bit off-topic, but I saw this maybe... I think I saw this a little bit on Twitter. With Sean O'Malley's kind of announcement that he is fighting Luis Smoke Index, and a lot of people, including me and you, were a little disappointed in yeah. this announcement. Do you think that... Um, we might actually get into this on Friday, but I'll still bring it up because I already introduced it. Do you think he's being given the Conor McGregor push treatment right now? Think of what Conor kind of rose to fight Jose Aldo. You know, I know he fought Chad Mendez before that, but that was supposed to be Aldo anyways. You know, think of what fight got him a shot at the title. It was a win over Dennis Seaver. Yeah. Who probably shouldn't have been in the fight to get you to a title. I mean, that's so hard to say. He definitely... 
has the superstar potential. I mean, no one has what Connor had, but, you know, in terms of superstar, O'Malley has that more so than a lot of other prospects right now. So I get why they're pushing him slower, but I think it's at an even slower pace currently. Unless he were to go out and, like, quote-unquote, smoke Luis Smolka, uh, and then I just don't think a win over him catapults you up too far into the rankings. I mean, who knows? Uh, I think they're very similar pushes, but at the same time, not so similar. I mean, at this point, where Sean O'Malley is in terms of fights in the UFC, Connor was already beginning to main event. We have seen Sean O'Malley co-main, which is, you know, that's a huge step, of course. Uh, So they're close, but I don't think we'll ever quite see a push and rise uh, like we did out of Conor McGregor. I think I bet more like um, safe matchups. Because think about like the Sean O'Malley is a guy who depends so much on his movement and his creative striking. If you look at pretty much everybody he's fought in the UFC, they're... None are too grapple heavy. Well, that, but they're also like kind of stuck in the mud. They're a little bit slower Mm -hmm. guys. They're they're not exactly, you know, even Chito Vera is a great fighter. He's not, he's not up on his feet, you know. Yeah. He plods forward, you know, and... I, I definitely feel the UFC is being very strategic in placing their puzzle pieces for Sean O'Malley. And, uh, yeah, I mean, he has answered the call for the most part again. That one close call against Sukumthoff, and then, of course, the loss to Cheeto Vera. More so to do with his ankle injuries, of course, Cheeto was due to the kicks as well. BIC, in terms of the styles of the fights for both Connor and Sean, in terms of their rise to stardom, they both were given relatively good stylistic matchups. Now, anything can happen in a fight, obviously, but still, the style is their uh, setup for success. Yeah. You want to take away with yours? Yeah, so, I mean, mine is also related to Sugar Sean, so he's technically, uh, or uh, obviously a pretty big star, uh, clearly. So... Uh, like you mentioned, we were both upset with the fight being scheduled with Luis Smolka. And I feel like we're going to talk about this again on Friday in the news, but here we are now on Wednesday talking about it. But I want to ask you, because uh, I think either one of these two options should have been next for Sean. I just think he, he is that level of a striker to compete with these top-ranked guys, top 10, top 15 guys. Uh, so I'm going to throw out the two names that were rumored to be his next fight and what ultimately did not turn out. But if it would have been uh, not for Luis Smolka, which one of these gentlemen would you have preferred to be Sugar Sean's next opponent? Dominic Cruz or Pedro Munoz? I was really expecting uh, your boy Ricky Simone to be on there. <laughs> but uh, out of those two matchups, I'm definitely going to go with Dominic Cruz and- reason for that it's actually probably the tougher fight for O'Malley now Munoz would be a tough fight don't get me wrong Pedro Munoz could likely win that fight but what I was just saying as far as kind of the opponents that O'Malley's been given so far they don't have a ton of movement in their game you know they kind of plot forward Um, sure they might pressure but it's it's not it's not it's just a strategic right pressure 
Um, you just don't see a lot of movement in these guys like Cheeto Vera. Dominic Cruz is all movement. All movement, all the time. And I think that could be a really fun fight, and it's a huge test on defeat for Sean O'Malley. I get it. The UFC might not be so willing to throw this guy to some power grappler and watch him get mauled for three rounds. Yeah. Because, you know, that's just, that's not really fun for anybody, right? Well, fine. Let's have a three-round war on defeat, or five rounds even, because that could be a headliner of a fight battle. Oh, yeah. And you just want let those two guys do some beautiful striking, show just some really good technique. And it really shows maybe how far along Sean O'Malley is in his development right now. Can he hang with someone like Dominic Cruz? Casey Kennedy proved he could hang with Dominic Cruz. Yeah, very good fight. Even, and I'm not saying Sean O'Malley, even if Sean O'Malley loses to Dominic Cruz, you know, if he puts on a performance like Casey Kennedy did, right. then... I Your stock's not going down. Because I don't care what Dominic Cruz's ranking is, he might still be the best man in weight in the world. Yeah. Like, he's that good. But I digress. That that would be the matchup I would pick. Yeah, I'm going to have to agree with you. The Pedro Munoz one is uh, very intriguing because of the uh, power striker versus the Chris technical striker perspective. And Pedro is a very well-rounded guy. And I get to even see a fight like that between him and Sean with Munoz trying to come out and grapple, to be honest. We don't get to see that much from Pedro, but he is very decorated on the ground. But yeah, Sugar Sean and Dominic Cruz, a striking clinic from both guys. Very different styles, but so similar at the same time. So technical and precise with their striking. Sean with the power advantage for sure over Dominic, but the movement and elusiveness of Cruz is something so special that we've really never seen uh, really from anyone else. And the closest man is Corey Sanhagen to his movement. So uh, definitely Cruz versus Sugar Sean for me as well. Cool. My second one is going to be uh, kind of similar to yours, the way yours was set up. Uh, Kamara Usman. Yes. Coming off a big title victory uh, recently over Jorge Masvidal for the second time. You know, he's the guy's kind of made it. He's, he's now he is becoming a superstar. Superstar, but not only that, even if you, regardless of if the guy ever breaks a million buys by himself or whatever, you know, it's more like the respect he's getting as a, a potential top 10 fighter of all time. And people are starting to, there's whispers oh, yeah. about him and GSP comparisons. Yeah. Um, and they're not going to go away anytime soon. But Dana's made it very clear that. Usman's next title defense will be the rematch with his, I guess, arch rival, if you will, Colby Covington. But. But. <laughs> Kamaru Usman's manager, Ali Abdelaziz, has, was in an interview, to, uh, I think, last week or so, and was um, saying that he didn't think that Colby had earned the uh, right to fight Usman again. That they felt like he needed to another fight, you know, whether it be winning a fight against Masvidal or the winner of Thompson and Burns. or Even, I think, threw out the uh, idea of him stepping in to replace Diaz in a fight Leon. I heard that as well. Now, is a lot of this maybe hearsay and just kind of, you know, trying to get Colby's head? Maybe. But... He threw out two interesting names that he said were more deserving of a title shot right now. Two names that haven't even been really 
talked about his potential title matchups right now, but I wanted to see Dom, if Kobe wasn't next, who would you rather see fight Usman for the welterweight title? Michael Chiesa or Vicente Luque? Number six and number seven. Did you like how I said, would you rather? <laughs> yeah. Um, and not go with who's most deserving. You know, I would rather see Vicente Luque because this man is an absolute beast of a man. And coming off of that, you know, submission win over Tyron Woodley uh, just looks so good. And before that, he's in all of these wars with – he's fought so many high-level guys already and he's still so young. He's 20-7. and seven. He goes out there and finishes fights. He has such a unique style to where he will stand and bang with you, but on the ground? I mean, we literally just saw what he did to Tyron Woodley. Like, this dude is legit as they come on the ground as well. For Kiesa, I just think him and Usman, it's a bad matchup for Michael. I think he's a great fighter, a great grappler. But when you're talking about a guy like Usman who is easily going to match your grappling skills, if not be a little bit better. Plus, Usman definitely has the advantage on the feet. I just don't see a path to victory for Kiesa in that fight. But for Luke, the power's there to threaten Usman on the feet. Um, Vicente's not afraid to get hit and keep pushing forward. Now, honestly, anyone who takes a right hand like Jorge did, you're probably going to sleep. But if that right hand doesn't land, Luke's going to keep coming at you. He's essentially the welterweight Korean zombie, you know, and he just keeps coming. And on the ground, while is going to be the better overall grappler wrestler, Luke's no slouch down there. And in the terms of BJJ, we've not seen Usman tested too much. So I just think overall it's such a better fight. I think he has better chances, more paths to victory. So yeah, I go Vicente Luque there in terms of the more exciting fight, the better matchup. Really, any check boxes that you wanted me to check off, I think Luque checks them all. If I had said who's more deserving, would you still pick Luque? And I'm just going to throw out a stat for you to help you out here. KSL on a four-fight winning yeah. streak. Luque's on a three-fight winning streak. I mean, when you look at the latter two wins for Kiesa against Neil Magny and then RDA, obviously that's super impressive. And we know how everyone respects and loves RDA. But then you look at Luque, former champion. He defeats in Tyron Woodley. Then he beats Randy Brown, Nico Price. But he's... He, exactly. He's finishing these guys. I would probably still pick Luque, man, but it's razor thin in terms of the deserving Keyword yeah. there, but uh, I just think everything about both potential matchups is better for Luke, and uh, I think he deserves it just as much as the next guy. He's proved time and time again in this division that he's been there and done that. Kiesa is four and zero, but still relatively new. But Luke's been in there with the guys like Wonderboy and such even before. So I, I would go with uh, Luke again on the deserving side of that question as well. Yeah, I think I'm going to agree with you. Um, as much as I, <laughs> as much as I wanted to come in here and say, like, all right, are we really going to give another guy a title shot with a win over Tyron Woodley? I mean, how many people are going to beat Tyron Woodley and get a title shot off of that? Yeah, yeah, this will be like four in a row now. 
And, um, but truthfully, I mean, you're right. It's the better fight. It's on paper anyways. It's a more exciting fight. There's more variables in the matchup. Now, could Kia su- some surprise us all? And yeah, you never know. I'll grapple Usman or something. Hey, it could happen. But on paper, I don't see a single route to victory for Kiesa that he wins more than a Hail Mary one time. Yeah. While Luke at least offers... He's such a wild card, man. <clears throat> Not only with the BJJ that you mentioned, but also his striking is very crisp. I mean, he... He carries the power. His, his, strike, his striking defense isn't the best. You even saw that in the Woody yeah. fight. He did get clipped, and Stephen Thompson lit that guy up like a Christmas tree <laughs> for three rounds. Yeah. But Usman's not the most technical striker either. He's gotten a lot better. He's making vast improvements with every fight, and the power's there. But um, it would be a very interesting fight because I think Kumaru would look to keep that on the feet. And, uh, Luke would be all game for that. Yeah, couldn't agree uh, more. Kiesa, you know, his wins even are probably more, you know, RDA and Neil Magny compared to Tyron Woodley. They're probably, it's probably more impressive resume as of late. But, um, yeah, I don't know. Not, just not big on Kiesa. And, you know, what's what's probably going to happen here is if Kiesa wins, like, his next two fights, let's say, you're going to be starting to look at, like, uh, when Tyron Woodley was champion, a Damian Maya situation, where Damian Maya looked incredible, earned every bit of his title shot at UFC 214, but everybody knew the outcome of that fight and knew that it wasn't going to be a very good fight. And it was actually worse than people thought. Yeah. <laughs> I, don't want to, I don't necessarily want to get into a habit of uh, skipping guys for title fights because you assume that a fight's going to go a certain way. I'm just saying for fun here that that's that's how I'm looking at it. Well, and it's crazy. You look at this division here, and I'm just going to lay this out with to you because all these fights are essentially made. But, like, we've got four guys in this division uh, that could be next for a title fight with Usman just after winning one more fight. We've got Leon versus Nate Diaz. Leon's already unbeaten in his last nine. If he beats Nate, that would be unbeaten in his last ten. It's a rematch years in the making against Usman. He's number three. He couldn't be denied anymore. That's number one. Steven Thompson's fighting Gilbert Burns. If he wins, that's a brand new, fresh matchup for Usman with a lot of fun variables. He should deserve a title shot. Michael Chiesa, regardless of who he fights next, you could argue, okay, he would be 5-0 and if he wins his next fight at welterweight. Obviously, five straight wins. He probably deserves a title shot. Then you look at Luke, who just, when he wins, starches everyone. So he could be one win away from a title. Oh, and by the way, if Gilbert Burns beats Wonderboy, does he already get a rematch after just one win? So this division is just so crazy. There's so many talented fighters in this top seven, like so top heavy. There's just so many options for Usman. So I really think him, his management team, will be playing their cards very close, observing all of these fights coming up. But I'm going to be honest, I would be utterly shocked uh, if Kiesa or Luke or anyone was going to fight Usman next and not Colby. I'll put it that way for sure. Well said. So uh, I'm sticking with the men's bantamweight on my second point, now my third point here. 
And it's a simple yes or no kind of question here for you, Noah. So it'll be, uh, you know, maybe nice and easy. Maybe you'll give me a long-winded answer. Whatever you want. But it's simple. As we all know, the current champion at men's bandpoint is Aljamain Sterling, uh, based off of that illegal knee that landed uh, back in March. So... He has since went on to have neck surgery and is out anywhere between four, five, six, seven months. He says we'll be back in October, November. That's still quite a long time from now. We're only in May, so we're talking five, six months at the minimum. Do we have an interim title fight at men's 135, or do we just wait for the recovery and run it back between him and Pewter Jan? So let me, let me get some clarity on this question before I answer it. Are we assuming that he will be back by the end of 2021? That is what he's saying. However, many people are thinking, dude, you're having a neck surgery. That's a risky kind of timeline for you. You might want to take some more time off. But he has said October, November. Take with that what you will. Okay, so I guess the best way, I don't know if this is going to be a great answer here, but if Aljamain cannot make it back, by the end of 2021, that an interim title should be introduced. Okay. If he's able to be back before by the end of the year, then I don't see the need for it because I know it's still a long gap between title fights. But from now until September, most of our title fights pretty are booked. Yeah, like it's. A, Right now, October might be the next time you see a Bantamweight title fight at the earliest. Mm-hmm. So if Aljo's ready to go in December or November, then I don't see the need to do it because it would be a lot like when Colby Covington got an interim title and two months later, Tyron Woodley beat Darren Till for the undisputed title. So yeah. It just, yeah. It's just kind of muddies the waters a little bit. But if Aljo can't go by the end of the year, which is what I'm expecting... I mean, as you said... You don't think he'll be... Surgery. Okay. I, I just imagine that... I think it's like best case scenario. He's back in November, December, but too much, you know... These guys are rehabbing. They're still training physically in some way. There's bound to be setbacks. I mean, they expect it to go 100% smooth would just be ridiculous. So, I'm going to say... That's how I'm going to answer it, is yes, if introduce an interim belt if he can't be back by end of the year no if he can't yeah i feel like that's kind of the best uh answer to give because again it's all like okay how's your recovery gonna go and i think that is the fight to make obviously you have to run that back aljo having the better of the early fight pewter young coming on very strong and began to dominate that fight before the illegal knee so I am 100% fine with letting them run it back should he return this year. If he cannot, say he's not back till February, March, April of 22, I don't think you sit Pewter Jan on the shelf that long, especially when you have a, you know, a plethora of guys, the Corey Sanhagen and TJ Dillashaw fight getting rescheduled in a couple months, Rob Font fighting Cody Garbrandt. I mean, there are guys that can earn an interim title shot against Jan, so, yeah, I'm kind of going to agree with your exact answer there. Should Sterling return by the end of the year, let him sit with the belt, and then we'll run it back. If he cannot return in the calendar year of 2021, let's go ahead and get uh, an interim belt on somebody and get an official number one contender for next year. 
I, I agree because if you look at how interesting this division still is, it's too interesting to be having the title held up like this. Oh yeah, I'm not blaming Alger for obviously his his neck. Yeah, issues. like that's that's out of his control, and really a lot of this situation is kind of out of his control, and it's kind of unfortunate. But look at not only do you have Peter Yan who was dominating the latter rounds of that fight. But you do have Aljo, who was the clear number one contender. Then you got Corey Sandhagen and TJ Dillashaw, who are looking like that fight's going to be rescheduled for some time later this summer. Corey Sandhagen looked unbeatable besides when he ran into Aljo. Yeah. And look at what he did to Frankie Edgar. TJ Dillashaw, two-time champion, never lost his belt, just got popped for PEDs. Yeah. We haven't seen him in two years. And it wasn't even at this weight class. You got Rob Font, who's kind of the the biggest question. What a sleeper. Yeah. Yeah, the biggest sleep uh, wild card, I would I would say. You know, a guy with really good boxing. but And arguably, he's fighting the biggest star in the division in Cody, you know? That's what I was going to say. If Cody beat... You guys won't... A lot of people listening have kind of... For, in case you forgot... Cody Garbrandt is a damn star, and if he goes out there and knocks out Rob Font, don't tell me that they, the UFC isn't going to be interested in putting him oh, back in the title. They'll be all over that, man. It'll either be it'll either be him potentially skipping over the winner of Sandhagen Dillashaw, which I know nobody's going to be happy about, or they're going to send him back down to flyweight to fight. And gets to get a title fight. Yeah, yeah. So this whole the, the top of this division is so interesting, but. Right now, like this, there's a lot of stagnation because you've got a champion who's got this long layoff who really doesn't feel like the legitimate champion. And Peter Yon shouldn't take a fight unless it's a title fight because he was winning that fight and he was the champion. And it's just... Oh, yeah. If I'm Yon, I'm sitting. Messy, yeah. It's a messy situation, but I, I stand where I'm firm in what I said as my answer. I love it. I love it. All right, my number three here. I'm trying to think of which one I want to do. I'm gonna, I'm gonna go with uh, this one. Is uh, definitely one of my more out there ones. Dom, which UFC record is more surprising to you? What in the hell? <laughs> UFC pay-per-view main events, which the number is 18. Do you want to take a guess at who that is? I think it's uh, Anderson. Nope. No? Randy Couture. Oh, wow. Really? Randy Couture. Or the highest takedown accuracy in UFC history. Minimum five UFC fights and 20 takedown attempts. What? 77.8%. Seventy-seven point eight percent. Oh, so you're a stats guy now. <laughs> do you want to? Uh, do you want to take a guess at who that might be? Is it Tyron Woodley? No. Oh my gosh! You're just gonna make me look like an <laughs> idiot. I see the whole point of this question. <laughs> it's Robbie Lawler. What? <laughs> Minimum twenty takedown attempts, five UFC fights. Robbie Lawler has you know takedown accuracy seventy-eight percent. Easy answer. I'm shocked that Randy Couture holds the record for 18 UFC main events. That shocks me. I know he was a superstar in his day, 
But man, I mean, it's hard enough to have 18 fights in the UFC, let alone 18 main events. Whereas for Robbie Lawler, he's known as a brawler. I've never seen the damn guy on his back, really. So I'm not too surprised the more and more I thought about it. Uh, but yeah, Randy Couture, 18 main events. That's wild stuff, man. Uh, obviously, I don't, think, I don't know if you realize what I the second record there. I'm saying that Robbie Lawler has the highest accuracy for his takedowns. Oh, I thought you said takedown defense. No, no, no. Oh, <laughs> twenty takedown attempts and five UFC fights. Robbie Lawler has the highest accuracy in his takedowns, seventy-seven point eight percent. Okay, I'm switching. Robbie Lawler, man, again, like I, I said. Like, I was listening to your answer, and I'm like, I don't know if I'm... Dude, I can't recall in my brain, especially in the last, like, eight years when Robbie Lawler has been on the ground unless he's getting knocked out or knocking someone out. strictly UFC performances, too. Isn't that crazy? So that means he has had over 20 takedowns in his UFC career, and I can't recall yeah. one of them. Not a single one. Yeah, I'm switching, man. Both of these are absolutely mind-boggling. I hope people listening are just mind-blown as I am. But, uh, man, a brawler and striker like Robbie Lawler holding a 77% takedown accuracy rate, yeah, that's taking the cake for me, dog. In a very tight race, may I add. Wow. I, I need a break. I'm going, woo, woo. You scrambled my brain. Yeah, do you like that one? Um, I'm gonna, I'm also gonna go with Robbie on this. Uh, that that one kind of <laughs> blew me away. Um, there was some other ones that I, I was thinking about choosing for this. I mean, the Couture one did surprise me because he has 18, and I'm pretty sure like Anderson Silva I think has like 17. John Jones is like right in there. GSP, yeah, you know they're they're all right in there. Um, I was trying to look it up while I'm talking, but if not. There was also uh, the take a guess at who has the most uh, finishes in the lightweight division in UFC history. I'm not even going to take a guess because I'm Joe, not even going to be Joe, Joe Lozon. What a legend! Most finishes yeah. in lightweight history, huh? It's a guy that's going to be overlooked. Yeah. So just a fun fact: Jim Miller. Well, I was going to say even a guy like Jim Miller wouldn't surprise me. Well, Jim Miller has the most. UFC fights overall. He yeah. He tied with Donald Cerrone after Saturday, if assuming Donald Cerrone ends up fighting. Um, but isn't it interesting that Jim Miller has the most fights in the UFC without ever fighting for a title? That's so true as well. I mean, we even saw. I was going to hit you with the which record should be respected, like, is more. A credit that like it's I, I don't know how to word it right now but I was gonna just give you something like uh, Jim Miller has the most UFC fights without ever fighting for a title yeah or Jeremy Stevens has the record for the most UFC losses like which one is more respectable right between the two you know yeah um, but I ended up going around I did and well you've got all kinds of uh, potential questions for this or that part four five six seven eight nine ten yep. <laughs> I was, I was doing some research for this one, but man, I respect yeah, you for Lawler, that, Noah. Robbie Lawler, the 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 best, the takedown machine. Robbie Lawler, that is uh, Habib. Who? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's impressive. That's funny you said Tyron Woodley. Tyron 
sent his ass into the shadow realm. Yeah, no kidding, man. <laughs> That's so crazy. I like that, Noah. Way to keep it real fresh. <laughs> What's so funny is you guessed Tyron Woodley for takedown defense, I'm assuming because of the Damian Maya fight. Oh, I mean, that alone had to pad the stats. But Tyron Woodley could have been the answer for the takedown accuracy, too. Yeah, no kidding. That's why at first I thought for sure you understood what I was saying, and then you were like, well, I know Robbie Lawler is a brawler. Yeah. Never on his back, and I'm like, wait a minute. But but you're telling me he's on top. (laughs) Okay, okay. Well, I'm just going to be honest. My last two are both um, fights. So well, I'll keep it simple. You're gonna throw some weird ones. That's okay though. It's it's the uh, rapport between us. Yeah, I'm going. I mean, that's, that's how it is every time. Oh yeah, oh yeah. And I'm going to the lightweight division again. Arguably the most stacked division in all of the UFC, with or without Habib. So a gentleman by the name of Islam Makachev is taking this division by storm. The next up from the AKA Academy, a soon-to-be champion. Uh, according to all of their coaches, training, Habib, DC, the list goes on. And he since has tweeted recently that two gentlemen have turned down fight opportunities with him. And no, I just want to get your opinion on which one you think would be the better fight, what would make the most sense, which one would you make if you could in the UFC front offices. Islam Makachev versus Paul the Irish Dragon Felder or... Former lightweight champion of the world, Rafael Dos Anjos. So your your question was which would I put because like off of which would be a better fight? Any aspect of it. Which one would you want to see? Which one would be the better fight? All this and that. Um, so I think the more realistic option is the Paul Felder fight. I think RDA's kind of earned his right to fight. Up. Someone like Justin Gaethje even who's open right now. But I'll take the approach of which is going to be the better fight, the more competitive fight. Truthfully, I think him and RDA, Islam Makhachev that is, and RDA is a super competitive fight. Paul Felder is always game, and you saw that in the RDA fight that he took on such short notice. But it's a bad matchup for Paul Felder. It just is. It's not Magachev might already be the best grappler in the entire division. I mean, he's, he's Habib Jr. Right. We'll call him. He's, he's smash. He does smash. And, and uh, because of that, though, I would love to see the kind of young, you know, this young, hungry kid in Islam Makachev's grappling go up against the veteran, polished, technical grappling of an RDA and maybe they cancel each other out and they start fighting on the feet a little bit. And uh, that happens, then I think Islam Makachev could be in some trouble there. Yeah. So that's going to be my choice of which I think would be the more competitive fight. However, for RDA, if I'm RDA, I'm definitely not taking that fight. There's no oh, fight. that's that's a risky fight. I think RDA might have a fight with Justin Gaethje waiting for him. That, that's what I think should be the play, yeah. Based off of who's being matched up right now, Justin Gaethje's open, number five, RDA open. RDA, if I'm you, bud, I'm holding out. I'm oh, yeah. For that Gaethje call. Islam's going to have Paul a hard Felder, time getting anyone to accept a fight with him. Yeah. Paul Felder, though, that's a guy who's game. Um, he probably declined it just because he doesn't want to fight right now. I mean, he's kind of, in his later years that he's in now, he's kind of taking that approach where it's, you know, he doesn't have to take every fight. He, he's kind of just 
picking and choosing and you know he's really into his commentary role now and stuff so I, I still think if he does come back that would be a fun fight to maybe kind of be a send off even if he wanted it to be yeah, uh, I agree with you. I think Makachev RDA would be the better fight, the fight to make if that was what you wanted for Makachev. Uh, I think it's a very tough fight for Islam because of the grappling uh, that RDA possesses and on the feet, also very competitive. Uh, we've yet to see Islam get tested too much on the feet because he simply just takes everyone down. So it would be very fun. I think Felder would present a very tough test however we saw the grappling of rda really get the better of felder now granted that fight was on like five days notice i get that but a guy like makachev man like he's just gonna pressure 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 and for a guy like felder who is such a great counter striker and so powerful it would just be a very difficult matchup for him so i agree with you islam makachev and rda would be the one i would choose there my number four about another uh Champion walking out of UFC 261. Rose Namajunas. Uh oh. The two time women's strawweight champion, the first woman in UFC history to reclaim her once lost belt. <laughs> I yeah. guess is the way to put it. The first two time champion in a women's division in the UFC. Is that a better way to put it? That's a better way to put it. Um, but she had an amazing performance against Zhang Wei Li at UFC 261, that head kick out, out of nowhere. And, uh, so beautiful. Because of that, there's been a lot of talk of what her next move is. You know, kind of the, the one for people like maybe me and you, the option that maybe we, we both seem to be more supportive of, the one that makes more sense if you're going off of rankings and whatnot is the winner of Carlos Barza and Jan Xiaonan. However, it doesn't appear to be what the what the higher-ups are going to be wanting to do. So, Dom, two unpopular options for us as her first title defense. Would you rather see Rose Namunas defend in a rematch with Zhang Weili or... In a trilogy fight with Joanna Young Chechek. Oh, Noah, I'm, I'm going to leave. <laughs> you knew I was going to hate this. I knew you were going to hate this. Listen, listen. Rose is 2-0 against Joanna with a knockout and a five-round decision victory. And 1-0 against Zhang Weili with a first-round, one-minute, 18-second head kick KO after Zhang Weili only had one title defense. Neither, however... Since you're making me pick, it's like Impractical Jokers where if you lose the episode, you have to do the punishment no matter what. That's what you're doing to me right now. Even though I didn't lose anything, you son of a bitch. But I guess I would go Zhang Wei Li just because we've already seen Rose and Joanna twice. I don't want Joanna to get another title fight, at least without getting another win first. So I'll go the immediate rematch with Zhang Wei Li if that's what the UFC brass is looking to do. However... Of course, as Noah mentioned, the fight that I think should happen and is most deserving and makes the most sense is Esparza and uh, Yan Zhanan winner. Uh, and then I think you should do Zhang Weili and Yuana and Jake Check the rematch in a five-round fight night headliner. 
uh, or even a fucking pay-per-view headliner after the fight that they had last year and make that a number contender fight because everybody has been wanting to see that rematch anyway, so why not make them fight to earn a title shot? That's what I think should happen. But again, however, to reiterate, because it's this or that, Noah said Zhang Weili or Ioana, I'm going Zhang Weili in a rematch with Rose uh, since you made me pick it and you're very mean co-host. <laughs> I 100% agree with you in, in your assessment of this. Um, I know what a fan you are of uh, seeing this rematch, so I would hate to pick another option because I know how much that would hurt you. In all seriousness... I'm not completely opposed to the Zhang Weili rematch. I've, I've said that. It's not necessarily... It doesn't make a ton of sense. Again, you, you mentioned the reasons. One title defense only. Knocked out in just over a minute. Can you really warrant a rematch off of that? Like, that's not a... There's no... You know, it's not a long title reign. It's, it's not even a great performance you know she got knocked out in a minute yeah we didn't get to see anything so uh, there's a lot working against her there but I still think that a rematch for those two would be a better fight than the trilogy than the trilogy for sure and the reason I'm not completely opposed to a a Zhang Weili rematch is because I mean Carlos Barza and Yan Jaman, depending on how their fight goes, they might make me more of a believer. Especially Yan Jaman, she's very much a, kind of a one going under the radar for me yeah. right now. But Carla, I'm not super sold on her being able to make much noise as far as a as a title challenger to Rose or Lili or Joanna. Obviously, Joanna starched her back in the day. So, because of that, I don't hate the Jean Weili rematch. I do think it might still be the toughest fight for Rose, but you would realistically like to see her earn another title shot rather than it be gifted to her. Right, and it would only take one, no matter who the opponent would be. I'm just going to throw something out there. and I'm not a logistics person, so... Well, I mean, I am in supply chain, but... <laughs> As far as uh, working out the logistics for the UFC on this, don't and I have no insight into this, uh, obviously. But if Yan Jaunan wins, how about we get Rose versus Yan Jaunan as a headliner, co-main five rounds, Joanna and Weili two, and you do that in China. I mean, it sounds to me like you just had a billion-dollar idea, Noah. So uh, because you might want to DM Dana White. Had Zhang Weili defend in America, and as a, it appears, all four Asian fighters on that card went zero and four. So it sounds like the the travel might have potentially been a not to take anything away from the people who won, but you could argue that maybe that travel was a bit hard on them. So then you do the reverse. Okay, Rose, now you go defend in China, whether it be Ab Jaman or. Uh, a Whaley rematch. That's what I'm just throwing out there. I love if, everything about that. If you, if you do the rematch, then guess what? I think Joanna should fight Jan Jaunan. Yeah. It'd just be a three-round fight. Yeah. I love it. Just I saying. love that. In China, two Chinese fighters. <laughs> I love everything about it. That's a great I idea. Get the spotlight. 
Everybody wants. Hey, UFC, hit us up. Just saying. The, the phone, the phone lines, the emails, the text messages, we're open here on the Joes. Rose, Rose is not. Rose is a thug, man. She she'll go into enemy territory. Look what she did when she fought Jessica and Drops the first time. She yeah. In Brazil. Yeah, exactly. Pieced her up for two and a half rounds before getting bop slammed on her head. Yeah. It's crazy. Then Andrade went to China, lost her belt. Zhang Weili comes to America, loses her belt. Granted, she got a win in between. Now, we'll just send Rose to China this time. Why not? Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I'll leave it there for now. The fifth and final round, dare I say. Mm-hmm. We're going to the big boys. The big E boys. The big e- Well, he's not going to be mentioned, but <laughs> the big boys. The Ohio boy, Noah. The greatest heavyweight of all time, Noah, Stipe Miocic. I don't know if you've been seeing what he's saying on social media, but uh, old boy's wanting to pack on some size, get up to about 250 pounds, uh, and get ready for his next bout. But the question here I pose, what is going to be the next fight for Stipe Miocic? And those options are the trilogy bout with Francis Ngannou. For the title, an immediate rematch necessarily, or it would be for Stipe, should I say. Or, as we know, there's a lot of drama going on in heavyweight now. Right now, what's going on with John Jones? Is Derek Lewis fighting Francis? It's looking like that's what's going to happen, according to the aerial interview with Derek Lewis especially. So John Jones is kind of just floating right now, it seems. Lost his management, looking for new management. A lot of question marks. So does our boy... Step in and get the trilogy fight in his next bout with Francis. Or does he welcome Mr. John Jones to the heavyweight division? Winner getting a title fight next. Oof, man. I think he should fight uh, Jorgen DeCastro or Carlos Felipe. All right, and that's all we've got for you, uh, you guys today. We're signing off. <laughs> No disrespect to those guys, sorry. Um, you I just love bringing it. up that fight, that's all. That's <laughs> I all. I hate that fight so much. Don't be surprised in part four of the series if I ask you something about that fight. I'll quit. <laughs> I'll let it be the Blarvage Joe podcast featuring Noah Baker. Um, give me some ideas. Okay, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, to get to the question, Noah. As you're off, yeah, I'm stalling big time because I hate both of these. I hate both of them. Good. I'm glad I gave you one of those. I mean, they're they're both great fights. Like they're they're fights I'd be really excited for, really anticipate. They'd be big sellers, I'm sure. But I think Stipe might lose both of them, and that's why I'm I'm a little nervous about seeing either one because I'm kind of. Kind of wanting to see old boy ride off into the sunset. Yeah. As the greatest heavyweight of all time. Right. Now, would a loss to Francis or John really, you know, diminish his legacy at all? I don't think so. I think his legacy's pretty much been cemented. Cemented, yeah. You know, we we were saying if he beat Francis and then beat John Jones, we're talking good. He'd be the best of all time. So then if he loses to both those guys, it just kind of puts him in his place more than I really want to see. I kind of just want to, I kind of just want him and Jones to be like a what if, because I'm so <laughs> nervous that Jones might starch him. But I am going to go with the Jones fight because 
has Stipe, does Stipe earn, you know, has he, does he deserve like an immediate rematch? You know, probably. Look at what that guy's done. He most consecutive title defenses. He's a two-time champion. He, dude's fought, came back from a lot, you know, injuries, the eye issues he had with the Cormier fights. Um, he gave Cormier a tr- whole ass trilogy. Um, gave Ngannou the rematch. You know, Ngannou deserved it, don't get me wrong, but after really starching him the first time. But for Ngannou, the way that Stipe got knocked out in that second fight really just didn't have much for Ngannou, to be honest. Like, even on the grappling end, he could he just didn't seem strong enough. And Ngannou just looked like he was a lot smarter. Well, what are your out. thoughts on the 250-pound version of Stipe that we've been hearing? It's it's interesting because, um, you know that would that would be a way to kind of counteract that is to put on some more muscle, some more weight, and then you're a stronger guy in there. But truthfully, I don't know if it matters against Ngannou because even if Stipe's at 265 pounds, he's not going to be as strong as Ngannou. He's not going to hit as hard as Ngannou. So to try to like play his game or however you want to call it. I, I feel like Stipe's biggest benefit was when he was weighing around the two thirties because he was faster. Yeah. He was, you know, lighter on his feet. He could go all five rounds, things like that without ever getting winded. I think he might lose some of his strengths by trying to put on size, by trying to strengthen by trying to tailor himself to more of Francis's strengths, yeah, which he's never going to be better than Francis at those things. So I'd be—I'm a little nervous about it, but ultimately he's going to know more than I am. Obviously, I'm just some idiot who's never fought a day in his life. Right. This is the best heavyweight of all time. I think if he wants to put up 20 more pounds, I'm sure he has the right people, and he's smart enough to know that that's a good idea for him to do. But regardless. The Jones fight's the one I want to go with. It's, it would be really interesting if that was like a headliner, non-title fight. I'd give a lot of shine to Stipe as maybe his retirement fight if he loses. Um, but if he wins, I mean, how can you deny a guy, the first guy to legitimately beat Be Jones? Jones. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that guy deserves a title fight after that. Even if it was a heavyweight, it doesn't matter. Yeah, and we've talked before how we were kind of never opposed to John getting a "Quote unquote," you know, warm up fight, and obviously, I've been saying that. Yeah, and obviously, a fight against, and obviously, a fight against Stipe is not a warm up fight, but it's more so getting a fight under your belt at heavyweight, and uh, that's why I would choose the same option. I think Stipe and John Jones would be a humongous fight for many, many reasons. It will give John a taste of a heavyweight, uh, a heavyweight goat at that uh, to potentially then go on to fight Inaganu or Derek Lewis, whoever should win that fight, and if Stipe were to beat John more icing on top of the cake and then potentially go on to maybe reclaim the belt or if he were to lose, just retire that way. Uh, I think that would be an awesome fight. Stylistically, I think there's a lot of fun X's and O's to really break down in a bout like that. And uh, just, yeah, I think Nganu Lewis is what's going to be next. And I thought this was a fun little question just because obviously our boy from Ohio in Stipe, but then two polar opposite opponents. But both are pretty... I mean, not unrealistic options. So I, I thought it was interesting, and of course with the 250-pound talk that Stipe's been mentioning, it seems he's definitely going to fight again. That it seems for sure. So 
I'll be very interested no matter what um, who is going to be next for Stipe Miocic. Yeah, well said. Now it's time for my final one. The one to send us out here. You're going to go big too, I know it. I don't know if I, you know, I don't know if it's my biggest one I've done here today, but it's it's another fun one, I think. I, I really enjoyed this one. Uh, these are two guys that we're both big fans of in different weight classes who have been on a bit of a slump as of the last year, year and a half or so. And my question for you, Dom, is whose career is more likely to have a bounce back between the light heavyweight divisions, Tiago Santos, who's on a three-fight losing streak, or the lightweight divisions, Tony Ferguson, coming off back-to-back losses. Again, think about the variables about the the competitiveness of the division, matchups, all that. I think, oh, man, that's a really fun question to pose. When you look at both divisions, light heavyweight's really the hottest it's been in a long time in terms of the division through and through, 1 through 15. Lightweight, obviously, we've already discussed, is just, it's the greatest weight class in MMA right now. Tony's got a fight with Benil Dayush, which I think really favors him. I think it's a good fight for him to potentially bounce back with a win, simply because Dayush likes to get hit and Tony likes to hit people. For Santos, I saw he's actually recovering from another hand injury, but he does plan to return in the summer. I'd have to imagine he would get paired up with a rematch with Anthony Smith. Of course, they first fought at middleweight. Or a fight with Dominic Reyes. And that's just me speculating, obviously. So I'm trying to think just in terms of styles. Are either of those more favorable favorable for him than Dariush versus Ferguson? I'm going to go no. I, I think Tony has the better chance of a bounce back. I think he's just so well-rounded. He's the more well-rounded fighter out of these two, him and Tiago Santos. He has so many weapons. We've seen him go on that unprecedented 12-fight win streak in that division. But for Santos, yeah, he's a great fighter, a former title challenger, arguably beat John Jones on one leg, but he's a very predictable fighter, I guess I should say, because he's just well, that wild... Compared yeah, especially sure. compared to Tony. And he just brings the power and the wild striking. But we've seen in the fight, especially with Glover, he gets taken down, he gets gassed out, and he just gets pummeled on. So, And, and I think him fighting Reyes or Anthony Smith, especially the 205-pound version of Anthony Smith, the one we just saw fight Jimmy Crude Anthony Smith, I think that's a tough fight. And then obviously Reyes, don't let that three-fight skid of Reyes fool you. He's still an elite-level fighter at this division. So I'm going to go Ferguson there, and it's just because he's got that fight coming up in two weeks, less than two weeks now, which is exciting, against Benil. I think there's a lot of potential for him to bounce back big in that one. If he gets a win, he's still ranked right there, one fight away from a title. Everybody loves some El Kikui. The fans love some El Kikui, and uh, he, he could really reach a championship fight again uh, after his after he were to win against Dariush. So I'm going to go Tony Ferguson there. That was That's a unique, uh, fun question. I like that one, Noah. Yeah, I think I'm going to agree with you with Tony Ferguson, as sad as it makes me. Yeah, you're a big Santos guy. Uh, I'm a big Moretta fan. However, the reason being is that um, 
you know, Tiago was still showing me some things. You had a rakage fight. wasn't all bad. It wasn't a great fight. But Tiago at least showed some improvements in his technical ability on the feet. However, it's obvious that the knee injuries have slowed him down. And maybe that's why he feels like he has to fight like that. You know, he's not as explosive. He's not as powerful. And when he loses that and he has to start trying to fight like an Alexander Rakic, of course he's going to lose. That's not his style of fighting. Tony Ferguson, on the other hand. He can do it all. While being put through back-to-back pretty brutal losses, you know, the the Justin Gaethje fight started out pretty back and forth, but then the longer it went on, the more Gaethje just started kind of piecing up Tony, while Charles Oliveira just dominated him. Dominated him, man. However, even with that being said, I didn't watch those fights and go, Tony looks worse, like slower, looks... It just—I mean, he legitimately was going up against the best version of Charles Oliveira, and you simply saw more of his opponents. Yeah, look at it like this: both of those guys, off of those performances, are in title fights. Justin Gaethje winning the interim belt, obviously, against, and then goes on to fight Habib. Habib, and a lot of people thought Justin might be the guy to beat Habib because of what he did to Tony. Yeah, while Charles Oliveira. Coming off a win over Kevin Lee that happened right when quarantine started that everybody kind of forgot about. Gets a very high-profile fight with Tony Ferguson. We both thought Tony was going to win. We thought, you know, maybe it's like we love Charles. But yeah. It's like, oh, maybe too much. And Charles and put on a clinic, man. Pummels him. And earns a title shot now. Yeah, against uh, Chandler. Coming up at UFC 262 against Michael Chandler. A fight that a lot of people are going back and forth on. Um, Charles kind of getting the respect he deserves. But I think because of that, when I look at the Tiago Santos losses, most, not even the John Jones one, I don't count that because I thought he won the right. fight. However, the Glover to Sheriff loss, that was... the Alexander Rakich loss, yeah. to me that looked like a worse version of Tiago Santos. While I, I will be a little more hesitant to say that the Tony Ferguson who lost to Gaethje Oliveira is a worse Tony Ferguson. Right. Very well put. I think that's going to wrap it up. We did it again. Part three. Woo! Part three. Man, this series is a lot of fun. Isn't it so really fun? Because a lot of it is just hypothetical or really fun um, questions that we pose, and uh, that's what makes it so unique. It, a lot of fun. It's just stuff that we don't get to talk about in the way we do our normal Monday yeah. Friday episodes. Yeah. We're usually talk about news or either recapping fights that already happened or previewing fights that are upcoming. So this just gets us allows us to have a little more freedom, a little more laid back, a little bit more fun to just kind of discuss some of those hypotheticals. This is a this series emulates perfectly what our kind of conversations turn into. Yeah, out, off recording, you know, out of the studio. Yeah. I agree, and uh, you know, truthfully, I would love, and I hope everyone's still listening. If we could get. Uh, freaking some voice messages of people like posing to us this or that and yeah. we answer them on like part four for example that would be so much fun uh, just some more interaction uh, I think that would be awesome because this is just such a fun series uh, we've gotten good feedback on it from our listeners so far and hopefully you all enjoy part three here yeah 
Now, uh, as for what's upcoming, obviously Friday, we've got another preview episode. And it has been confirmed. It's been shuffled. That's for damn sure. Our main event will now be in the women's flyweight division between two... Top strawweight contenders, yeah. Marina Rodriguez and Michelle Watterson, both coming off of big wins, probably arguably the biggest wins of each woman's career. Michelle with the fight of the year contender with Angela Hill. Marina Rodriguez starching the biggest prospect in the division, Amanda Hebas. And both of those, Amanda Hebas and Angela Hill, on the same main card as well, which is awesome. Yeah. So I think this... This card's a lot better than people are giving it credit for. Yeah. Um, even the main event. I think it's a good main event. Like, fuck you. If you like, <laughs> I think <laughs> I it's think very it. stylistically I, I fun. I so many people on Twitter shitting on this main event. I'm like, it's like, have you guys forgotten what these two women just did in their last fight? Come on. Yeah, like, I mean, will the fight be great? Who knows? But just, like, I don't know. But I'm not going to go on a rant here. Really. <laughs> We'll, we'll save the rant for Friday. Yeah. <laughs> but seriously, fuck you if you don't like this. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Uh, but that's happening Friday. Monday will be results and recap of the fights that we will preview on Friday. And I'm just going to throw it out there, guys. We're at episode 95. What a long road journey this has been. We're it's, close. It's so much fun. But we're, we're nearing Woo! a big milestone for us. Episode 100. Triple digits. So I want to I want to implore you guys to please follow our social media accounts. We're gonna we're gonna put them in here at the end, and then they'll be in the description. Um, on I believe on Spotify and YouTube, you can find all that information. Uh, follow our Below Average Joe's social media. Uh, episode one hundred is going to be something we want to make special because it's a big milestone for us. We've been doing this now for. Uh, what seven months? Long time, yeah. Started oh, in August, yeah. We're in May, it's about nine months. Nine months, right? yeah. So we're we're really close. To, we're three quarters of a year in at this point, and we're not slowing down at all. Oh, we're, we're just picking up on. speed, buddy. But I think episode one hundred, it's going to be an episode we look back on and go, "That's when things change." Yeah, for better. That's a good way to put it. You know, we've been seeing a lot of improvements. Since a lot of growth. A lot of great feedback. Audio qualities have been improving. The episode ideas that keep improving. Uh, the rapport is always improving. Um, there's, a, there's a logical next step. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so with that, uh, please tune in episode 100. It's going to be... The biggest episode in below average Joe's history. This is true. This is true. But with that, Dominic, <laughs> send us out. Follow me on Twitter, on Instagram, at Deasley14. And of course, more importantly, as Noah just mentioned, follow our podcast social medias on Twitter, on Instagram, at BAJ underscore. MMA podcast and man we do have so many big things lined up so many bright ideas for episodes content uh, our community with you all we're so excited we appreciate all the support so far and we hope it just continues because we're not slowing down as Noah mentioned we're only we're only scratching the surface we think big things are coming for the Joes and uh, we want you all to be a part of that so follow us there and of course Noah let's finish this Wednesday out strong here as for me, if you go to my bio on Twitter or Instagram, at ntbaker underscore, 
you'll be taken to our link tree, which gives you the links to all the platforms that the podcast is on, along with the social media platforms. That includes the Twitter, the Instagram, the YouTube channel, and Spotify, Google, and Apple Podcasts. It's all on there, baby. And there's a couple links for the Anchor page. First, leaving a voice message. If you have a thought about an upcoming fight, a news story, if you want to present some this or that's for us, you have 60 seconds and you can do it there. There's also another link if you want to become a supporter of the podcast. That just provides us with a few dollars a month and all that money goes back into improving the quality of the podcast, whether it be audio equipment or down the line doing a video podcast. So again, you can find all this if you go to my bio on Twitter or Instagram at NC Baker underscore. But with that, we're out. We'll see you all on Friday.